No, it's fine, it's fine. Thank you. So we are halfway through our series, Purpose. And if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. It's not too late. We are only halfway through. So I just want to make sure that everybody got workbooks. If there's someone that didn't get one, I'm sure everyone, everyone got one. Okay, cool. So we are on page 10 for those of you who would like to take notes. And I'd just like to remind us of the scripture that this um, series is grounded in. And hopefully by the time that this series is finished, we will be able to recite it as a church together. We'll know it off by heart. It's in Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And this morning you can say that I, you, are God's handiwork. And it's not because you are so good, but it's because He is so masterful. We are looking at five big purposes throughout five Sundays from week two to six. We are looking at five big purposes God has for every single one of us, us that believes in Him. So if you're thinking this morning, I have no idea what my unique purpose is, if you are following these five things, that you, you are heading in the right direction. You are on your way to, to un unlock it. So the five, they all start with C, so hopefully it's easy for us to remember. I just want to recap. Number one is Christ. Number two is Christ-likeness that Lainey preached on last week. And this morning, we're going to look at number three, which is community. Can I just pray for us? Father, thank you that we get to be quiet and be still before you. Father, I pray that as I'm speaking, Father, that it will be you speaking to us. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be present, to be active, and to be working in us through this morning. Thank you for your love and your sacrificial love to us. Amen. So community, Ephesians 3 verse 10 says, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through the church, God's manifold wisdom will be made known. That sounds a bit risky, doesn't it? Because the church is made up of imperfect people like me and like you. Yet Paul writes that through us, the church, God's wisdom will be made known into the world. God's purpose was to give the church to the world. And then it should be our purpose to give ourselves to the church. Another thing I want to point out in this verse that it, um, in English the word uh, is used church, which we usually refer to as a church building, right? We are looking at a new building and we also call it church. So you might be saying we're going to the church on Sunday. But in the Greek in which it was originally written, the word is ecclesia, which means the called out ones or the called out assembly. It's also a collective noun, 
So in other words, it was God's purpose that through us, his wisdom will be made known into the world. So it's not just about each individual trying to figure out its unique purpose. But when we look at our purpose within God, it's when we, that we realize that when we are being together, when we are communing together, we are fulfilling the ultimate purpose that God has for every one of us. By being the church, God's splendor and the wonder of his wisdom is made known. And the story has always been, the church story has always been about God's people, not just a few people connecting with each other. So as I said earlier, it's so important, the church is so important to God. And I think that's why he has given us pictures throughout the Bible of what he says the church is to him. So this morning we're going to look at three pictures of metaphors that's given to us in the Bible. And then in ending, we're going to look at four things that we should be doing. If this is what God's saying about the church, what should we be doing about it? So number one, the church is the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 25 to 7 says, Husbands, love your wives. And then he tells us how to do that. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. There is such a beauty that God sees within his church. And it's so easy for us to look around and see all the flaws and all the blemishes. It's not hard for us to do. But when God looks at us, he looks at us not for what we are now, but for what we are becoming. When we look at the Bible, we can look at it in a way of a love story. The Bible begins with a couple, a man and a woman, and a marriage. The Bible ends with Jesus and his people and an eternal wedding. And in between is the story of how his people with him becoming more blameless and more without blemish. So listen to what God says about his bride in Ezekiel 16, 10 to 14. I clothed you in an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry and put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And a beautiful, oh sorry. And I put a ring in your no- on your nose, earrings on your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. You were clo- your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. And your fame spread among, among the nations of the account of your beauty, because the splendor I've given you has made your beauty perfect, declares the sovereign Lord. So I remember um, when, before we got married, we will be married for nine years in November. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, is, that is for me, not for you all. <laughs> 
So um, before we got married, we, ha- we had a lot more time than we had now. We were both students. So we used to w- watch a lot of these fail videos on YouTube, these clips that they put together. And we watched a lot of um, w- uh, wedding fails. So I unfortunately thought <laughs> it was hilarious if um, the bridegroom like, would, f- like, he'll faint in f- like, as they're getting married. And I just couldn't stop laughing. I, fo- I found it hilarious, which is probably not the greatest humor, but I really enjoyed it. I had a good laugh about it as I watched it. So as we were heading up to our wedding day, I remember people saying, remember, you must eat something. Albert's brothers make, make, make sure that he eats something so that he doesn't faint. And then my husband said, well, my future wife will probably think it's hilarious, so it's okay if I do. It will, she'll have a good laugh at it. Anyway. So when we look at the, the story of the bridegroom and the bride between us and Jesus, between those pictures, one of those pictures are perfect. Jesus is perfect. He has no flaws. He has no blemishes. There isn't a single thing about Jesus that there is not to love. And then he says his love for his bride, despite of your flaws, despite of your blemishes, I love you for who you are becoming. His scripture says, you are my queen. So when we look at the church and we look at through lenses that's not Jesus' lens, we are not seeing what Jesus sees. He is not seeing us for who we are, but for who we are becoming in him. And when Jesus views his bride with such passion and so much commitment, surely we must be committed to the church. We must be giving ourselves to the church. Number two, the church is a temple of God. So there's a lot to say about this, but I'd like to just explain why it's such a beautiful picture. In the beginning, there was this couple, as I mentioned, Adam and Eve. They were in the garden, and the Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the day. God walked with them, God talked with them, and that was what he wanted. He wanted to be with his people. But then this couple disobeyed the one command God gives them, and that was not to eat of the fruit. So the major consequence of that sin is that they get banished from God's presence. They get banished from the garden. Then a while later, God is so gracious, he tells the the Israelites, build a temple. So they build this beautiful, exquisite, expensive building. Uh, And on the day that that building gets dedicated, God's presence come in like it visually like a cloud and enters that building in that square center room called the most holy place. And the presence of God is so powerful and so wonderful that only one man was allowed to enter that room one day a year. And it was such with such fear and trembling that they tied a rope around that man's foot and he had bowels on his cloak. So that if he gets get struck down dead, they'll be able to pull him out with the rope. Hectic. 
God's presence is powerful. And then the wonderful and amazing thing is, is that the day that Jesus got crucified, the Bible says that, oh, I missed a part, sorry. In the temple, there was this veil, the curtain. It's a multi-layered curtain that separated God's presence from the rest of the world. So the day that Jesus got crucified, that veil tore from top to bottom, multi-layered curtain with not a single man's intervention. Torn. Jesus, God said, I want to be with my people again. Not only one man, one day a year. I want, that's why Jesus died, is so that God's presence can be with his people again. So listen to what uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 2 verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building, not bricks, people, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit, in which his presence dwells by his spirit. God's presence dwells within us. Wow. Another verse, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 17. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together is that temple. Wow. God's presence here. When we are all together, communing, being together, that's amazing. The picture is that you and I are these living bricks and we are built, being built together by the master builder, God himself. And by being in community, by communing together, God's presence dwells in such a unique and specific way. He still wants to walk with us. He still wants to talk with us by us doing life together. That's why the Bible doesn't know of a specific alone, I have this relationship with God, but I've got nothing to do with anybody else. We are all believers. We are all part of what God wants to do. The third metaphor the Bible uses is this. The church is the body of Christ. Ephesians 4 verse 15 and 16 said, says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
So can you see that each of these metaphors gives us a different picture of how God sees the church? The bride and the groom are separate, but they get united with the covenant. The temple is a building and God is in the temple. But this is saying that the church is an extension of himself. We are an extension of God himself. You and I, with every believer in Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in him, is considered to be cells of a body joined together. If a part of a finger is chopped off, that part dies, but the body hurts. And that's how it is to be isolated from the rest of the believers in Christ. Paul, Paul, who wrote this scripture, had a revelation of this himself through God. Before Paul came to know Christ, he believed that Jesus was just a failed rabbi and his believers were just causing trouble. So much so that he killed and persecuted Christians. So one day on his way to continue his work, he got struck down by a light and the voice from heaven, listen to what it says, it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who did Paul persecute? Christians. Yet God says, why are you persecuting me? That is how connected God feels to us. Why are you persecuting me? That's how close God is to us, how close Jesus is to us. We are an extension of himself. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis. It says, God seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what who he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye. In other words, God is looking for a people to partner with. He is looking for his people, his body, to go out and change the world. Another as aspect of this is that people sometimes say they wish that Jesus was still here on earth, so like in bodily form, that they can just go to him and ask him questions. But Jesus didn't seem to have the same idea when Jesus went, he said, it's good that I go. So his physical body left. Not here. It went up to heaven. But when he did, he said, the church, all of you, us, we, are, you are now my hands and my feet. The heartbeat of Jesus should be pumping every one of us. The lifeblood of caring and connecting with each other should be flow, flowing through all of us. We are Jesus' hands and feet. So if this is how God views the church, as his bride, as his temple, as an extension of himself, surely the church must hold 
of high value to us. So let's look at what we should be doing. Four things. Don't lose hope in the church. There are so many people that speak about the church. There's so many people that has given up on the church about being together, meeting together, and it's really not difficult to see why. Our personalities, the baggage that we carry, we are bound to bump each other a little bit. Someone might do something that hurts you, and you might do something that hurts someone else. Not on purpose, but it's bound to happen. Yet Jesus still calls us his bride. He still calls us his bride. His temple and his body. People sometimes criticize the church, calling Christians hypocritical and all these things. But when you are pointing a finger to the world, there are more fingers pointing right back at you. And we do get hurt by people. We do get hurt and we hurt someone else. But that's unfortunately a part of our sinful nature. So we have an option. We can say, oh, church, being together, bunch of imperfect, imperfect people. And when you say that, you are right. You are absolutely right. You hit the nail on the head, we are. But Jesus, the one that really matters, still calls us his bride. He still loves his bride. He gave his life for his bride, and he seems it fit to still work in his bride. God didn't choose perfect people to be his church. He picked us to be his church, to be his bride, to be an extension of himself. He doesn't see us for who we are. He sees us for who we are becoming in him. Therefore, you and I should not lose hope in the church and for the state that we are in. We should look to where we are going, who we are becoming in Jesus and hold on to that. Do not give up hope in the church. Because Jesus is so committed to his church, his bride is becoming more beautiful. His presence is becoming more tangible and his body is becoming more functional. Number two, we should use our gifts to strengthen the church. Remember that scripture I read from Ephesians 4 verse 16, it says, from him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Something that I love about Hope City Church, and I'm not saying we're perfect, we are not, 
But I have shared my story about how we came to church. We were um, we, yeah, we moved from Secunda, and we stayed in um, the city for almost a year before before we found a church. But as we came from that first um, service that we we um, joined, we experienced such community in that church, in this church, such community, such love for each other. And so many people, if we talk to them, that is what they say about this church. They feel community, they feel love, they feel connected in our church. Number three, prioritize worship and small group gatherings. Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25 says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up, up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We need to prioritize meeting together. There are so many things that takes priority in our lives. We all have busy lives. It's work, it's school, it's children, it's activities. And all of these things are good things. But where does church and meeting together fit into that? For some Christians, meeting together is like it's on a priority B list. If I have a moment, we'll see how it goes, maybe I'll join. God doesn't have view you as a priority B on his B list. And thank goodness that he doesn't. Thank God that I'm not on your priority B list. And I know I'm speaking to a lot of us. We do, you do prioritize meeting together. And that's wonderful. Well done. Do keep on doing it. But we need to keep on prioritizing it. Because if it doesn't, we slip so easily. Number four, love the whole church. When we look at the world around us, there are so many different types of churches and so many different ways of doing church and styles. And it's such a beautiful picture to think that all of that is part of God's church. We sometimes look at other churches and be a bit critical about them because they're a bit different. So I grew up in an Engierkerk. That's very different to what we are doing now, <laughs> to what we're doing here at Hope City Church. But in that moment, God didn't have a favorite. He doesn't have a favorite now. He doesn't favor this church above this church, this style above that church. God has space in his heart for every single church and every believer in him. We should be loving other churches and loving other styles. God loves that church, those people. He loves us, our church. He has room in his heart, every one of us, and he loves us passionately. I'll be closing in a moment, but I want you to just think about the metaphors not one of those metaphors is about me. They're all about God. 
We are the bride, but we're only the bride because he's the bridegroom. We are the temple, but we're only the temple because of God's presence. We are God's body, but we would be lifeless without him, the head. Can you all stand with me? Father, thank you that you so clearly speak in your word. Thank you that you help us with pictures and metaphors to better understand what your heart is for the church, for us being the church. Father, I pray that something would stir our hearts, that you would stir our hearts and open our eyes so that we may view your church, your bride, through your lens. Father, help us to understand and remember that you gave your life for your church. You love your church and you see it fit to still work within your church. Father, help us to prioritize you, to prioritize being together, meeting together, and serving together. Father, I pray that within this church, we would love each other as you love us. Father, I pray that our eyes and our hearts and our minds will be open to your people. Father, if there's a part of your body that's hurting, that we will go and help and serve and love. Thank you that you are still working. And thank you that you see us as your beautiful queen. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks, Deirdre.